Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical, powered by West Yorkshire Electrical. If it has wires in it, they will work with it. Covering West Yorkshire, the whole of Yorkshire and beyond, wyelectrical.co.uk for details on that. Or find them on your socials as well, including solar panel installation, because they specialise in renewables, battery storage to go with your panels, EV chargers, fire alarm systems, school contracting, CCTV, you name it, they do it. Get in touch with them. If you have electrical work that needs doing, finance available for work on your home or your business as well, wyelectrical.co.uk for details on that. Phil, hey, hello to you, our usual um, Monday dates. First things first, you didn't give me my 20-minute text message, as per usual. I, I do have mitigation for that. There were issues with WhatsApp at Rotherham for some reason, so I didn't get um, your message until half time. at which point I was able to reply and basically say, what a shit goal that was. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And Daniel Farker, actually, in his comments, caught a pretty frustrated figure on Friday. And here he is talking to Leeds United's official YouTube channel with Brynlaw. Yes, first of all, a bit disappointment uh, from honest, although a point on the road is, is never a bad result on, on championship level, but yes, we missed in the first half to bury the game because um, when I compare our situations with them, we scored a fantastic goal, but had four or five really good chances. Yes, and then we took the wrong decision uh, in, in the added time, already lost the ball, totally unnecessary. Out of this, their only situation in the first half, counter-attack 1-1. Should have buried the game in the, uh, at half time. Yes, if you don't, and then don't score the second goal, then said you have to uh, accept that it's just a draw. So my feeling was even the first half, although we were that dominant, we were enjoying ourselves a little bit too much. I wanted us to be a bit sharper because my feeling was we were playing really good here, really good away game, but. Yeah, our, our our awareness level and sharpness level was just 99% and not 100%. Otherwise, we'd have buried the game. And, and out of this, and it's, sometimes it's a bit like karma. You can get a, a totally not deserved equalizer. Um, and this was more or less my, my main message. It's more like we don't underestimate the opponent. Let's make sure that we stay on it and, and go for it. Championship seasons are very long, so you have to kind of let these things go quite quickly and particularly because it's Swansea on Wednesday then it's Middlesbrough on Saturday it's another busy week so it doesn't do to, to dwell too long on Rotherham but I think he will be pretty annoyed about that result and I, I got the sense in the press conference afterwards that he did see how big an opportunity had been missed he was actually fairly unprompted when it came to the comments about them being as he put it you know a bit too pleased with their dominance I think for the first time he was maybe hinting at the possibility that the players had been 
a little bit too casual, a little bit too relaxed. He did say that he wouldn't have called it sloppiness. He wouldn't necessarily have called it complacency. But I think that was almost what he was he was getting at. That at one nil, one nil so early on, and given the amount of control that they had in the first half, which I thought was pretty impressive actually. I mean, they, they did dominate that half and they did keep Rotherham under wraps. They kept them a long way from goal. But they didn't score a second. And I think the risk was always that if Rotherham managed to nick a goal from very little, which in the end they did, it would change the fixture, it would change the the balance of it. And it would create the kind of game that Rotherham needed. It was a big shot in the arm for them at a point where it seemed like they were they were going nowhere. And I think he came away from that, much as I think Ipswich will have done the same when they drew two all at, at Rotherham. He, he, he did appear to come away from that on Friday night thinking, that's a poor result for us. You know, that that's not great. You're going to have them over the course of a season. It's, it's There's going to be occasions, like with Stoke away, where games that you feel you should win or games that you feel you, you've got impetus and momentum going into get away from you. But I, I felt like that was very avoidable on Friday night. It was one of those classic games where a team in total control who were looking on a different level to, to the opposition let the opposition back into it and, and paid the price. Yeah, very much so. I made that point as we uh, we sort of tackle the fans' view on the match ball. I said that it was very reminiscent of their game versus Ipswich. Uh, an early, if you can have an early sucker punch versus Ipswich and a late sucker punch, which is exactly what they did to them, even though Ipswich had all the running in that game. And the same happened against the Leeds, didn't it? Bit of naivety maybe creeping into it. Phil, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I I totally understand really that it, it as the results go and go well, that it potentially gets into your head that it is flowing nicely and it is going smoothly, and particularly when you score early on and score as Leeds did. I mean, I, I thought it was a terrific goal. Pretty much what Leeds have been getting from Ruta all season, that lovely around-the-corner pass, just knowing exactly where the man is. And then a great finish from Somerville as well, which has been one of his big strengths since August. You know, he, he is looking like a really good finisher who, who knows exactly where the goal is. It was just set up perfectly to be... Not necessarily similar to the Huddersfield game where you, you score once, you, you, you get in control and, and you go forward from, from there, but to be quite a, a comfortable night. And I have to say, until Rotherham equalised, it felt comfortable to me. I don't think in any way it was a poor performance in the first half. I thought it was very competent. Um, I thought there was a lot that was good about it. And as I said, they were pretty controlled. But the goal was an absolute mess. It, it was almost like a, a moment in time where six or seven players just got totally consumed by ineptitude. There was the kind of poor touch from Firpo further up the pitch. There was, I thought, Kamara and Somerville overplaying slightly in an area where you, you couldn't really afford to do that or you were putting yourself at risk. And maybe that's what you know Farker was touching on afterwards, just that little bit of overconfidence. And then multiple opportunities to either block the ball, clear the ball, to prevent that going through and, and a finish inside Melier's near post. So it wasn't as if anybody um, in blue was shining in that moment. And I'm still actually quite surprised looking at it, how much that changed the game, you know, how much it did. I still felt at half time, considering the way Leeds had played, that it was set up for them to go on and, and win that. But there was a difference I felt in the level of Rotherham's intensity and organisation after half time. I did think they were very, very disciplined in the second half, pressed far better, um, maintained their shape far better, didn't let Leeds play. And I think from Farker's point of view, thinking about his his role in it um, personally, I think you'd be quite frustrated that tactically wasn't able to change it enough in the second half until, you know, the flood of players came off the bench in the way that we had at Norwich, where it was basically all out attack for the last 20 minutes or so. But that's not really a tactical plan. If that makes sense, that's a kind of, you know, let's go for gold and try and dig this out. 
We've seen it a few times this season though, haven't we? Teams have kind of stood off us or sat deep, maybe shown us a little bit too much respect and then suddenly they get a little bit of impetus or they get a rocket at half time from the coach or the manager or whatever and uh, and they look like a different team in the second half. We saw it a little bit with Plymouth, didn't they? They, they stood off us but then they kind of got the bit between the teeth after half time. Yeah, although I would say Norwich is an example of probably the opposite. I thought Norwich were at the best and, and looking most likely to win that game when they actually played Leeds at their own game. You know, came at them took risks, uh, created chances. It was in that period of the game where they started to get tight and started to, to sit a little bit deeper, being in mind that their form had not been good going into, into that game at all. That was the point where you felt like Leeds were going to get something from it. Um, and that was the point where you felt like Leeds were able to play on the tension at Carroll Road. And I guess the, the kind, of, kind of underlying anxiety in, um, in um, Wagner's players that, that it wasn't going to happen for them and, and that they hadn't been on a, a particularly good run. I mean, there were moments on Friday, without a doubt, that were crucial as well. The the, the penalty that wasn't given on Dan James, the, the disallowed goal. I have to say, you know, Farker was making the point afterwards that he thought the penalty was very clear. And I have to say, in the moment, I can see it. I didn't have a, a clear view of the challenge. I was well aware that James had been absolutely smashed. I mean, you could tell that it was a it was a proper crunch from Peltier. But we had bodies in front of us from the angle we were sat at in the press box. So it was difficult to tell the height of his feet um, and how much contact he'd made with the ball. But when you watched it back, that is a definite penalty without any question. I think Farker's frustration um, in relation to that was that, you know, Bamford was very, very fractionally offside and, and that was given. I think you have to be fair in saying that that was the right decision, I thought. You know, the, the linesman did get that right and it was extremely tight. But I think... For Farker, he was looking at the penalty decision and thinking that is really clear. You know, that's if, if the referee's there and he's got it's in his eye line, you know, that that should definitely be given. Whereas you've got the offside decision, which is really, really marginal, and yes, you know, slightly off, and, and they get that one right. So that I think is is an annoyance for the head coach and was a definite annoyance for Farker. But I'm not sure that was really the story of the evening. I think th- those were moments in which Leeds could have got away with that second half. But the fact that they were needing to get away with it, with it tells you how it had gone from halftime onwards. Yeah, we said the same. Yeah, definitely offside. And yeah, it was definitely a penalty, but you don't always get those, do you, in real time? It's hard to tell with the, you know, the speed of the game as it is now. Um, exactly. It was, it was a bad challenge, though. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It was a very poor challenge, that. Um, and not a good decision to to miss, but um, but these things happen. Just going back to Jorginho Ruta and his, um, his role in the, in the goal for Leeds... Another really, really good um, visionary pass to set up Somerville, as you mentioned. He was a little bit off it, though, wasn't he, on Friday? He didn't seem quite his usual self, maybe coming back from the international break. What, what do you think from a, a journalistic point of view on that one? Well, he'd had an abdominal strain. He played in one game for the under-21s for France, but not in the in the second. I was looking for the lineups at the start of the week, and it, um, he was listed as having been on the bench, but... We were asking Farker after the Rotherham game how it had been and, and he'd been implying that, that Ruther had had to um, withdraw early from that game because he'd had this abdominal problem. And when we spoke to Farker on Wednesday, he was very much implying, I felt, that Ruther might miss out. And I don't know if it was maybe a bit of psychology, a little bit of, of mind games to make Rotherham think. But that hasn't really been the way in which Farker's operated so far. He's been pretty straight with his, his team news and his, his injury updates. So I think there was a fair chance that Ruta might have missed that on Friday. It seemed like a really positive thing that he was actually starting. But it's hard not to think that if he'd been struggling to train and, and if he'd had that injury beforehand, that it maybe constrained him slightly. And I think you're right. I mean, that moment was was absolutely great. And I think that is one of his really big strengths, is his vision of his passing. He's not, to this point, looked like a really prolific finisher. But that side of his game, I think, is a massive asset to Farker. But no, I totally agree with you. I think um, I think probably not on it in the way that he would have wanted to be. 
Yeah, we got his um, his Instagram um, story, didn't we, in the run up to the start of the game, and you thought, oh, maybe just maybe he features then, despite the the kind of doubts expressed by uh, by Farker. Um, Terry Venables passed away over the weekend as well, former Leeds manager. Worth perhaps just touching on that. We are going to cover that in some uh, some more depth on one of our other shows as well. Uh, a guy who didn't have a great time of it at Leeds, but as we now know, looking back on the history of that particular spell, it was just as things were starting to fall apart behind the scenes, you know, players being sold from under him when he was told that they wouldn't be. Very, very unhappy time. Two things jump out to me about the Venables. I'll stick my head about the Venables either. Bear in mind that I wasn't covering it at that point and had, you know, wasn't at, even at the, the Evening Post um, at the stage when, when he was manager. I always remember his first game against City. Leeds beat City 3-0 at Ellen Road first day of the season. And somebody asking him afterwards, do you think Leeds could be in, ten- in contention for the title this because <laughs> of the quality of the performance? And that always stuck in my head because of how badly wrong it went from that point onwards. I mean, the answer to that was, with hindsight, absolutely not. You know, it was it was quite the opposite, and it was um, it was relegation they were they were fighting. But I think nothing more so than Venables and Ridsdale sat in that press conference after Woodgate had been sold. Even now, yeah, you know, I, I wrote. I wrote about that a little while back and and the kind of discussion about why it had been done, you know, why it had happened, why they decided to do it. And I think that to a certain extent, Venables was wanting to have his say and to express his his displeasure. I think from Ridsdale's perspective, he wanted to try and paint a bit of a united front about this um, when it was perfectly clear. I mean, if if you've ever read Ridsdale's book that he released about 15 years ago, he says in there that when he sold Woodgate to Newcastle, he said to Freddie Shepard, this will cost me my job. This just will not wash and there'll be no way out of this and, and I'll have to go. And he said, you know, Shepard totally understood that. But football being football, business being business, Newcastle took good because he was an absolutely quality central defender. But that was a massive setback for Venables. And I think that was the, the realisation that it was all about to run aground very quickly. It wasn't as if Venables to that point had built and maintained an outstanding team. There were problems anyway and it clearly wasn't going anywhere. But I suspect... This is probably true of quite a few coaches who've gone through Leeds over the years. To apportion the blame to him alone would be to ignore a hell of a lot of what was going on in the background. And perhaps with the exception of 0708, um, you know, this, the, the administration summer, and let's be honest, that was a legacy of what had gone on before anyway. There can't have been a bigger crisis point in Leeds history, you know, than that stretch from 02, 03, 04, when the whole place was on fire and it was literally burning to the ground. Bit of a a strange weekend in the sense that we were the Friday night game and I remember saying to you uh, as we previewed the match that we had the opportunity to put down a marker for the rest of the promotion candidates heading into the weekend. Now, as it was, came out of Friday feeling pretty frustrated that Venables passed away on Sunday. So I spent quite a lot of Sunday because it felt quite distant from the game itself on Friday night. Spent quite a lot of Sunday thinking about Venables' time at Leeds and then, you know, the collapse, the Champions League era, but then also regressing back towards... Euro 96. So it was, it was a bit of a strange weekend in the sense that we were the, the Friday night game. And then that came around quite unexpectedly, I think, on Sunday morning, the passing of, uh, of Terry Venables. Um, but you're right as well, just to return to a theme we, we touched on earlier about like letting these ones go sometimes. I decided, I sort of made an active decision on Saturday to just let this one go from an emotional point of view, from a, from a fan's point of view, particularly when you saw the results coming in from elsewhere. And okay, Leicester won, but Ipswich dropping points again. So as it turned out, it was a weekend where we clawed a point back, actually. So even if you don't come out of the weekend feeling bubbling on top of the world, it's an improvement on what we thought it was going to be like on Friday night at full time. 
I think two things you have to think about. The, the first is that you can't win every game. You're not gonna you're not gonna knock off forty six wins through a season. The other is that you you always have to kind of look for trends with this stuff. So the thing that sort of jumps out into my mind is the the nineteen twenty season, the other side of Christmas, when suddenly it wasn't going well and they'd lost down at QPR. They'd been beaten away at Forest the night of that famous, infamous um, Luke Aylin interview. And by that point, what was a very, very good team were clearly in a little bit of trouble. You know, they, they clearly lost the form. They clearly weren't playing as well as, as they could have been playing or, or delivering results as fluently as they have been before. So you start to ask the question, where is this going? And, and is this now a major problem? And obviously they, they went to Brentford with Bielsa midweek, following week, playing extremely well. And that was just like a massive line in the sand. You know, it seemed to cleanse everything and 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 they went forward from there and, and deservedly won the title. If you're looking for the overall trend of where Leeds are in terms of results at the moment, it's very, very good. It is very good. You know, the form is is excellent. And a draw at the end of a, a streak of, you know, a good good patch of, of wins doesn't make it a particularly poor result. Farker was trying hard to make that point afterwards, actually. You know, that away from home against a team like Rotherham who do know how to scrap and actually have been much better at home than they have anywhere else this season. Maybe it's not the, the worst result in the world, but I think he was struggling to say that in a way that convinced anybody that he actually felt like that. You know, so much of what he said before, I think was indication that, yeah, two points dropped without any question. If you're, you know, three, four weeks down the line and suddenly the form has been patchy, the results have been more patchy, then, yeah, it, it becomes more of an issue and it becomes more of a concern but I think pick through any fixture list give or take of teams who've gone up through the championship and there will, all, there will always be results in there that stand out as being pretty odd pretty avoidable strange given the, the respective positions of the team but in the grand scheme don't necessarily make a huge difference Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, the action does come thick and fast in the championship, Phil, and it's December. Uh, the weekend as we face Middlesbrough. That, I don't know why that, that feels like it's come around very, very quickly. We will preview that towards the back end of the week after the Swansea game, which we've got on um, on Wednesday. Just with December in mind, I'm going to give a, a massive commercial plug now to um, the Christmas jumper that is on sale, the new TSB Christmas jumper. And I'm mentioning it to you specifically because you you modelled it for us in the Lowfields Tunnel. And when you see it, 
a thing of beauty, a thing of hideous beauty, maybe. That's the jumper, not you, Phil, by the way, I'm, I'm talking about. You will see yeah. that it makes sense to photograph it in the Lowfields Tunnel because of what it looks like. Definitely. If you were unlucky enough to be walking through there on that particular rainy day, you'd assume you're half naked at points. <laughs> so don't let me put you off by because it's a lovely jumper. Yeah, great colours. Yeah, that one goes on sale on Tuesday. That's Tuesday the 28th of November, um, as we look at it now at the time of recording. So um, have a look at that at the square board on there. Thank you very much for allowing me that um, hideous commercial message. But yeah, it's um, one for your Christmas party, let's put it that way, rather than general day-to-day wear, I would say. Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and two Swansea then. What do we expect from this then? A team fired up to put right what they didn't get right on Friday, maybe? A team that looks to be a little bit more clinical and take charge of a game, Phil? Yeah, and perhaps a few players who are a bit more able to, to offer a bit more. You know, Ruta, you would think, will be, well, you would hope anyway, will be more recovered than, than he necessarily was on, on Friday night. Strike, I would suspect, can't be far away from coming back into the team. Um, it was quite remarkable, actually, that him and Byron were in contention for that game on Friday. Because when we spoke on the podcast last week, we'd said, you know, the indications have been that they wouldn't be, that they, they wouldn't have a chance. And when we got up to Thorpe Arch, Farkas said himself, I'm really surprised to be saying this, but, you know, the, the back trainer looked after themselves really well. Medical staff have done the jobs. They are um, in the mix for, for that fixture. So I think if Stroik is fit, Stroik plays um, without a doubt. You're right about what you said about December, though, and it's significant that December's here because it's such a busy month. I mean, there's so many games through that that stretch and some really key fixtures as well. And none more so for Leeds, I, I wouldn't say the Ipswich at home just before Christmas, and none more so elsewhere for Leeds than, than Leicester and Ipswich playing each other immediately after that as well. You know, that is going to be a really, really important three or four day spell, um, which could change the table quite a lot. But this is where you have to be consistent. It's not where you have to rattle off win after win after win, but it's where your form has to be good um, and has to stay good to, to keep you in touch. It's funny looking at Swansea as another team that's in the sort of lower middle reach of the table. They've got 20 points on the board. So they're a good eight points clear of Rotherham who occupy 22nd spot and the the highest of the, the relegation spots. But they've played 17, they've won five, drawn five, lost seven, neutral goal difference. Kind of the, the space that Leeds United used to occupy in the uh, in the landfill years, the kind of the 15 meh years. Not the, not, not, not the 15 meh years, the, uh, the 15th meh years. Yes, yeah. The landfill years is a great phrase. I'm going to thieve that and, and use that at some point. Yeah, it, it was it was like that. I, I know a few people who follow Swansea and they've said really from the off, but increasingly latterly, look, we are not going to bother the playoffs at all this season. We're just not, not that sort of side. So I guess this falls into the category of game that we've spoken about an awful lot. Not so different to Plymouth and others. The sort of game at home where you have to find a way through it, don't you? You have to make it happen. I'd be surprised if this is a, a championship classic for us at Ellen Road, but it's a very, very winnable game again. And, you know, notwithstanding the fact that it didn't work out at Rotherham, um, should have worked out at Rotherham, but didn't, I think Leeds have been pretty good in these fixtures. You know, I think Farker has found a pretty good model for, for getting through them. I mean, we've taken away their goals from their side, haven't we, in the form of Joel Piru? And obviously there's the Dan James um, narrative to, to factor into this as well, which adds a little bit of something to this fixture, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I still maintain that I think both of those two are, are keeping their places on on merit. I didn't have, think James had a, a particularly great game um, at Rotherham, but he has been very good this season. And I think one of the players who's really benefited from the chance to draw breath a little bit and have a you know a, a touch of a fresh start, I suppose, different coach, different division, back from from alone at Fulham. That's that's what for a few players to this point. And yeah, I mean, if if there's anybody on the pitch who's going to want to score on Wednesday night, it'll be Pirro. 
won't it? Um, and yeah, I would say to an extent, probably is due a goal. Yeah, just returning to Friday, actually, and the, the impact that the, the sort of wide attacking players had. It, it was more muted, wasn't it, actually, on reflection? They didn't quite have the same influence on the game that we've seen in, in recent weeks against other teams. So you've got to give credit, I suppose, to Rotherham for the job that they did there. I think you do. But I think Farker made that point, didn't he? That the, the phrase he used was, we, we took the easy options a little bit too much, which I think to him, from, you know, coming from him means that they didn't they didn't push it enough. You know, they they didn't get it Rotherham enough out wide. They didn't put the pressure on as heavily as they should have done. And with hindsight, they'll, they'll absolutely wish that they should have done. I think what I noticed in the second half as well, and, and this has happened in sort of isolated moments um, with Leeds since the summer, is that the midfield didn't have the same grip of it after halftime as they did beforehand. I mean, if, if you watch the game back in that first half, Kamara and Ampadu are absolutely running the town. You know, they're they're just on top of everything. They're controlling everything. There's, there's really no great pressure coming from Rotherham at all. But then you flip into the second half and it is different. And, you know, Rotherham did manage to affect that. You know, they, it's not as if they, they don't take any credit for it. But that was possibly the area in the second half which just needed a little bit of a tickle or a little bit of a, an adjustment. And I think the number of attacking players on the pitch towards the end of the game, you felt as if Leeds would get there. And obviously Anthony did score that that disallowed goal. It looked as if it had, had paid off again. But I think Farker would say himself, you don't want to be relying too often um, on that sort of tactical approach, you know, that sort of throw everything in the kitchen sink and hope for the best towards the end, which was a little bit how it, how it seemed on Friday. Just looking at the midweek fixtures then, Phil, we've got on Tuesday the ones to keep an eye on maybe. Middlesbrough in 12th playing Preston in 6th who were kind of on our coattails there. Maybe an opportunity for Middlesbrough to close that gap. Preston to perhaps drop off a little bit if Borough get the upper hand in that one. Also looking at Hull who are in 8th. They're playing Rotherham at home. You'd expect them to win that one, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's... It's the scoreboard pressure, isn't it? I was writing about this on Friday night and, and I'd asked Farker about it on Wednesday, in part because of what you've been saying on the previous podcast, you know, about the way in which you were following Rotherham Ipswich and, and thinking a lot about the impact on the table. It does feel like we've moved into that stage now where you you, you have far more of an eye on what's going on elsewhere. And I, and I think you I think you have to. And that seemed to be a little bit in Farker's comments after the, the Rotherham game, you know, just the fact that there was an opportunity to close in, there was an opportunity to just apply a little bit more stress, a little bit more pressure on on other clubs and to a degree they, they let it slip. Do you think there's a bit more pressure on the Wednesday fixtures this midweek? And I'm looking down the list of fixtures, the really pertinent games on, on the Wednesday night rather than the Tuesday, which is Sheffield Wednesday faced in Leicester. You'd expect that to go one way only, really, wouldn't you? Um, Southampton have got Bristol City. You'd have to lean towards Southampton for a home win there. Um, Sunderland facing Huddersfield. Again, you'd expect a home win. Ipswich, Millwall, same story, really. So the, the Leeds have to win this one against Swansea. I think it's an important game to win. Absolutely. I think a lot this season is going to rest on the record at home and how often they're able to get through teams who will come in and try and be, not negative, but won't push themselves forward to any great degree. And and I think we'd be quite content to, to go away with, with a point from Ellen Road. I suppose you listening through those fixtures there underlines the reason why from journalistic point of view or for, for supporters, it's absolutely, you know, fine to to monitor and follow results elsewhere. But as a footballer, you can't afford to, can you? There's too much happening. And it, it is just it does just become a, a huge distraction. And I think again to go back to the, the schedule through December. You've got so many games and you'd be say, playing so many times that if, you t- if you're concentrating too much on how the table's moving or, I guess more to the point, how it might move depending on permutations and, 
and what happens, then you've not really got your head or your eyes in the right place, have you? I guess that is that is one of the challenges for a manager at this time of year is just to keep on the straight and narrow and to a- apply that message of just fixate on your own fixtures, don't worry about other people's. I don't ever feel like that's so much of a cliche, to be perfectly honest. I think Farker probably had it right on Wednesday when he was saying, when you get down to the real sharp end of the season, the last six, seven, eight games, then to an extent, you do have to look at what's going on elsewhere because it's not a marathon anymore, is it? It is that sprint of the short number of matches and which will decide everything. But at this point, there's still so far to go, so many games to be played that it doesn't really do you any good. Yeah, that's why I was able to let this one go over the weekend, particularly because Ipswich um, dropped points. So I just, you sit there thinking, I don't know, I hope that they're just regressing to the mean a little bit more after their really, really bright start, but a good opportunity for them to get points on the board midweek. You can kind of tie yourself in knots with this stuff, can't you? As you say, like, you've just got to run your own race to all intents and purposes and hope that when it comes to the shakedown at the end that you've you've done enough. And we're not tracking too badly at all. I mean, a win on Wednesday would then put us just back within touching distance of the two points per game. So you're trending towards over 90 points over the course of the season. So you would expect that, you know, that would get you there or thereabouts, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I think if you beat Swansea, then Rotherham doesn't feel like such a bad result. If you have a poor night against Swansea, Rotherham feels worse and suddenly that looks like a bad patch with Middlesbrough to come on Saturday. It does just take the, the pressure up. But that's why the teams who get out of the championship are those who can who can maintain consistency. That That's what does it for you in this league. Farke was talking on Wednesday about 20 wins for the playoffs, 26 wins to go up automatically, which obviously you need to factor draws into that as well. It's not as if those wins will be enough um, by themselves, but that's how it how it has to be. It doesn't need to be up with 105 points. You just have to hit a certain benchmark and a set, certain level of performance. And I would say that at the moment, Leeds are not far away from that. Well, here's to another three points then midweek, Phil. Let's hope that they do... Um... Bring on the bacon with that one. And um, yeah, we'll preview Middlesbrough towards the uh, the back end of the week and react to the Swansea game as well. So uh, looking forward to Wednesday then. Another chilly night at Ellen Road. Weather's turned even worse here in West Yorkshire. Yeah, Rotherham was definitely the first cold one of the season, I thought. But it's it's going to be an interesting week this. Um, looking forward to Swansea, but I think looking forward more than that to Middlesbrough on Saturday. They have really started to find a little bit of form Middlesbrough um, and, and have got themselves into the sort of position they they want to be in. So that is going to be a big game. The Sam Greenwood derby. By the way, did you see the uh, the comments that I think it was their director of football, successor to Victor, Victor Orta, um, mentioned that while they did have an option on him, they would have to see whether Leeds went up or not. Because if Leeds go up this season, then what he was hinting towards was a wage increase for Sam Greenwood that might then put him beyond their price range. Yeah, it is all tricky. In the, in the same way as you um, you get wage reductions when you come down, you tend to get wage increases when you when you go up. And it's not it's not the only player by any stretch, um, Greenwood at Leeds, who other championship clubs would find difficult to, to fund, irrespective of how much football they've played or where they are in their, their careers. And that, again, is the kind of disparity between the Premier League and the Championship. But their option stands at £1.5 million. And I think as a basic fee, that's looking like pretty good value if he carries on the way that he's going. It's an interesting one, really, because I don't get the sense that there are many people down here who regret the fact that Leeds let him go or particularly regret the fact that he was allowed to go to Middlesbrough. I think everybody understood, given the circumstances, that he had to go out and he'd want as good a, a move as possible. But you would say that, as it stands, the, the, the better half of that deal seems to have been struck by Middlesbrough. We'll talk more about that actually towards the back end of the week then as we do preview the game. Um, we'll save that one for then. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of the week, Phil. Wrap up warm for Wednesday and we'll catch up uh, sort of Thursday, Friday, yeah? Thank you. We'll see you soon. 
the Square Ball Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.